Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is the returning Keelan Sherlock. Yay, he's back, he's Yay. back. <laughs> from Shaker Him and from St. Keelan and involved in Quarter Block Party. And what else are you involved in that the people should know about? Um, some pretty dark stuff, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> Get involved in anything I well, can. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> no, it's an intervention. <laughs> Saint Keelan is a funny um name for your solo stuff. Was yeah, that it just is funny. like oh, I'm gonna call it this? Yeah, I I was thinking about it for like for a good while. I was doing I don't know if you remember, but I was doing a bunch of gigs just under my own name, and the I the reason I wanted a different name was because I wanted to be able to drop it. And and go back to my own name at some point in the future. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how to, like, I have no examples of that. But I thought, if I got sick of my own name, I can't... It, you can go from from a name to... Like, you can go from, let's say, um, Bright Eyes to Connor Oberst. But you can't really go, like, have your career be Connor Oberst and then, like, suddenly take up this new mantle. I think oh, Ryan, okay. Ryan Adams tried to do that. and they, His record company were like, that's the stupidest idea ever. What did Brian Adams try to do? I don't. I don't know. He I, tried to incorporate his band into the. He wanted his band to be more like a full band with him as the lead singer, and I think they. After a while, it was like Ryan Adams and the. Obviously, it was a bad idea because I don't even remember the name of the band, <laughs> so it <laughs> didn't work. But yeah, I, I thought like I'd like a name so that I can have a name, and then I, I couldn't come up with one. There were I had loads written down on lists. Like such a classic, I had, I had a list full of names, and then my mother was on the phone, and I was kind of giving out about someone to her. I won't say who, and I was giving out about like a person. I think it might have been when I was working. Yeah, I won't say, but I was working and not in music for a little while, and I was giving out about someone. And my mom said, "Jesus, you'd have to be a saint to put up with that." And I like immediately was like, "Saint Keelan." I just thought it was pretty gas, so it kind of stuck. So, like, when you eventually drop that name and go back to Keelan Sherlock, yeah. will the sound change really dramatically? Oh yeah, I hope so. But I hope it. I hope it will change while it's Saint Keelan as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose that the solo stuff is kind of what you focused on most in 2017, is it? I like. Yeah. I've seen you solo more than I've seen Shaker him. I think. Yeah. I actually didn't expect the solo stuff to go as well as it did. Like, my plan with the solo stuff was to record something. I recorded it last December in the midst of the craziness of organizing Quarter Block Party last year. And I just needed something to keep myself sane because I can't really just do nothing. Like, it's really hard for me to go, like, three or four months without doing anything creative. I get a bit... um, I start to feel like I'm not doing the thing that I should be doing or something. And so I recorded this, like... EP with Aaron McGowan in his house so I put it out thinking at least people know that I'm doing a solo thing I'll put it on the internet I'll do it myself I won't like I wasn't like looking around for people to put it out or anything I just wanted to put something out so that people know I am doing a solo thing and then um, that turned into like I got I got asked I was in Iceland previous to all this and I got asked to come to New York and that was kind of like a cool thing that might happen but then when I put solo stuff out it did happen and then I got asked to come to Berlin and I got asked to play in well I was going with the Shaker Him to Belgium anyway and so then I got to travel a bit and then I got to do lots of festivals like um, Another Love Story 
Um, and so, yeah, it kept like rolling on until around September, which was kind of good for me. It was exactly what I needed was to, and I've got better at performing and like touring because I, I, I think the Shaker Him rely very heavily on Robbie's, um, he's, what's the word? He's like quite... Cutting? <laughs> Organized, I was going to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Both those things, though. But it's like every Shaker Him gig, though. You turn to Robbie and you're just like, say something that'll annoy all the people here. <laughs> yeah, he hates, like, he hates me talking at gigs. <laughs> and that's why I have incorporated it more into <laughs> live performances. I think that the between song banter, I don't know if more bands should kind of work on it, you know? It's like if you're gonna do it, like do it well. If you're gonna be really bad at it, just yeah. How is everybody doing? And nobody claps. Or I have anything. like a very specific thing that I like with um with crowd banter, as it is now known, which is like uh, people that I really love that are good at it are um sorry now Lisa O'Neill is quite mm, good. at She's it. great. I saw her at the weekend. Yeah. Um. I, I think the thing about it is that don't say anything unless you've got a, an actual thing to say. But she's a proper like raconteur. She's a proper yeah. storyteller as well. So I think that it's just in her DNA and she's used to it. Whereas like... Totally. Like I've never done that. If I was to get up and... Well, first of all, I'd be surprised if I was between songs since I don't play any songs. Yeah. <laughs> it would just wow, be how this. Did, how did this happen? <laughs> and then secondly, I'd be like, uh, you know, you'd be nervous about talking because you haven't actually rehearsed it, I think. Yeah. I guess I feel comfortable doing it now because we've been doing it since we were like 16. And I now also feel comfortable with how much the rest of the people in the Shaker Hymn don't want me to talk. Uh, and now it's become a thing. Like for it's, it's a thing where I say something, Robbie says something sarcastic. I expect it now. Like when we were like 20, that used to just, I'd get so wound up that he was getting in the way of me trying to do a good thing, you know. And now it's just like, it's a big part of the show. I hope I don't want to offend anyone, but I have the one thing I didn't like when I was growing up was when I would see the Franken Walters and they used to do a thing where they would, they go, Hey Ashley, do you see what I see up here? And they'd like talk to it. Like, um, Paul and Ashley would talk to each other back and forth about something happening oh, in the yeah. crowd and stuff. <clears throat> I was a bit higher strung when I was a bit younger. So <laughs> now to be honest, I'm like, yeah, I love it when they do it now. <laughs> uh, so you did the St. Keelan stuff and Robbie's done his own solo stuff as well with Mil uh, Milky Teeth. Um, yeah. Was that something that like he talked about, like, um, you know, putting out the solo stuff? We like, had a brief chat about it once or twice, mainly about like how um, Shane has a full-time job, Donald has a full-time job. We were kind of talking about maybe we would do something together, but that didn't feel... We were just looking into like the barrel of kind of like 12 months of not really doing much with the Shaker Hymn apart from writing things and no touring and we just kind of wanted to keep it going and then in the end he had started recording his solo thing and we when we kind of listened to them we would, we didn't listen to them like let's join them up we just listened to them and we were like oh they're going in kind of different directions from the like Shaker Hymn like if you took apart the Shaker Hymn you would find certain elements and I had some of them elements and he had the other ones and they just were, they weren't the same project at all. Um, and so then it became a nice thing because we write songs together as well. So it became like a very like, oh, obviously these should be separate things for both yeah. of us. It's not like one of us is doing something the other one doesn't like. Um, and then it was kind of cool because he would send me stuff and I'd be like, that track's great, that track's great. 
I think we maybe we were, I don't know, maybe if we were a bit younger, there would have been a bit more like ego to it or something yeah. or like emotional, like what you're doing that without me kind of thing. I guess we're all grown up boys now. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it was a good year of touring anyway. Like what were all those places outside of Ireland like to play? Germany, Ber- <clears throat> uh, Belgium? Uh, they were really good. Like I, <clears throat> I, um, Like, I think that touring is, like, the funnest part of... No, actually, there's loads of good parts about it. Like, the recording part is good and being in a band as well. Even the rehearsing is, has <clears throat> become really good for, like, for the Shaker Hymn specifically. Wow, so positive. Yeah. I don't know. I Like, but then I'm, like, driving up to Limerick to play to, like, ten people. Oh, I said I wouldn't <laughs> tell anyone about the ten people that showed up last night or last Friday night. Um you know, you can get a little bit weighed down in the, like, how many people show up kind of thing. So you just have to, like, make sure you enjoy it, you enjoy what what it is and not, like, have a expectation of it. So, like, going to New York was, like, fun because I had I made sure I had no expectation, but I didn't have three other people with me. I was going on my own. So whatever. Were you playing support to someone, was it? Or? No, I played this thing. Um, oh, my God. It's so bad that I can't remember the name of... I played this bar in the on the like Sunday night. It's kind of like a session. Lots of Irish musicians play it. This guy Pete Olafnaski. I um, met him in Iceland, and I was supporting Katie Kim. <laughs> I was supporting Katie Kim, and the first song I played, the guy who was doing sound was wasn't really a sound engineer. And the first thing that happened was my microphone like went like like fed back really badly. And then I went to sing again and I went, and so I didn't know what to do. And so I just stepped, the the like venue wasn't that big. So I stepped kind of off stage and I just sang the song. I played the guitar a bit quieter and I sang the song without the microphone. And uh, it, I've never seen like a crowd like, I don't know. I, th- I didn't think people would like care that much, but people were like, oh my God, what did you see what that guy just did? In a bad way? <laughs> no, in a, like a really impressed oh. way. <laughs> I was like, well, if you're impressed by that, <laughs> look at all these other dumb things I can do. And so um, afterwards, Pete was like, you really took charge of that room. It was really great. He was like, do you ever come to New York to play shows? I was like, I can come to New York to play shows. And so he asked me to play in, in the bar that he kind of runs Sunday night shows. Um, and so then if I was going over, I got onto a couple other people. I played one other show with a, a guy I used to work with, Graham Finn. I used to work in pro music for a very brief period of time when I was a teenager. And uh, Graham moved over to New York and he works in a bar there. And he like um, he would have been in loads of kind of big Cork bands in um, Bass Odyssey. They would have been probably the biggest one. Sylvia Saint, who were like a band that I was obsessed with. The Shea Graham was probably the first band the Shea Graham were really all in together. It was like this Cork band called Sylvia Saint. They were like um, a Queens of the Stone Age ripoff band kind of. But they were brilliant. Uh, anyway, I went over and played a gig with Graham. It, it was nice. I just pretty much went to New York and hung out my own for like six days and played two shows in between. And uh, didn't really want to come back. I was toying with the idea of not coming back for a while. That would have been cool. That would have been a rock rock and roll story. Yeah. Not coming back. I went to New York, man. Just a guitar. I, I just showed I had my up. Dreams. Played that one show and I never looked back. <laughs> yeah, it would have been good. But, uh, <laughs> but you came back. I came back. Back to reality. I came back because I had um, 
a show in Ballady Hab <laughs> books. Or maybe my ba- show in Ballady Hab was just before I left. I can remember on my like tour poster that I made that it said Levis is Ballady Hab and then it said Brooklyn the next two da- two days later. <laughs> I was pretty happy about that. Um and so like you did recording your own solo stuff and have you been recording the Shaker Him stuff kind of for the like last couple of months? Um we actually have only done one bust of recording so far. So we've done three tracks and then we're going to back to do the rest in January. And did you find that like you and Robbie, like since you went away and kind of wrote separately and then you came back together, that it was fine? Like, or were you kind of more, I don't know, precious about stuff or kind of? Mm, it's kind of an interesting thing that I'm not sure. I don't, I know exactly when one song is for for what project. Um, how, do you, how do you separate them? <clears throat> well, I tried to do this thing with this album that made it, a, it made it a bit more concrete what was happening. So, like on the second Shakerham album, "Do You Think You're Clever," I was I noticed that I was writing all these songs in a certain, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like a c- certain tone or a certain theme, and the theme was like kind of a bunch of things that I had picked up that I really enjoyed like LCD talking like a lot of the LCD sound system albums were about like a certain age at a certain time in a certain place and that was kind of the like framework I took for the last Shaker Him album which is like I wanted to write about being like <clears throat> 25 in Cork or more so in Ireland at this exact time and so there's certain songs like Trophy Child I guess is a good one of it was it was when I started being aware of things like um, millennials. It was like I think that that was only becoming a thing like three or four years ago, calling people millennials and stuff. I thought that was a bit gas. And um, all my friends, a lot of my friends, were working in like call centers, and so I wrote the song "High and Humble," which is about like kind of um, well, there's more to it than just working a call center, but it was a, a little bit like inspired by like how they were getting calls of complaints all the time, and they then they were just like complain when they got out of work and I just thought like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. There's more to it than that, I guess. But I wanted to write about like me and my friends and like not in an Arctic Monkeys kind of way though. Not in a, like really, I don't know, prosaic <laughs> like explanation of everything. But more like just like take little in- influences from them and and stories. And then when I went to do this album, like to write the lyrics, I was like, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to like. I don't want to pay so much attention to the people around me, pretty much, because it's not that nice of feeling, especially when half the songs are, you know, half the songs are joyous, but you know, a good chunk of the songs are like, "This is kind of shit, guys," right? Um, and so then this time I kind of focused a bit more on um, natural elements, and I don't know. I guess I've been like watching a lot of Blue Planet. <laughs> oh, right. A bit of that kind of stuff, and maybe overlapping with like. <clears throat> personal stuff i guess did any of the friends like call you up on that stuff like hey stop writing about (laughs) all this stuff that i'm talking to you um i remember playing like the first time we played those songs we played in the crane lane and um i played the song called another one of you which was a bit um about certain places that we would go when we were playing the shaker hymn gigs and i just thought like oh I'd I'd be worried if I turned out this kind of way or something. Like certain places where there's certain venues I play where like the same people are sitting at the bar every time and like they're 
good people I'm sure but like I just don't want to be sitting at a bar kind of thing and so I had the song called Another One of You which was about like just different I I, th- I thought of lots of different things I wouldn't really want to be I wrote the song called Another One of You and afterwards my friend came up and she was like fuck you man <laughs> <laughs> fuck you she was like that's about us isn't it and I was like no actually that's probably the only one that's <laughs> not she was like no I know I can tell I can tell <laughs> Do you think Arctic Monkeys got that so like on their first album, like all their friends coming up, like what are you writing all this stuff down I'd for? I'd say Alex? when you're that age, when you're eighteen, you're probably like delighted to have songs. You're like, yeah, yeah. mid twenties though, yeah, you're yeah. like paranoid. That's and about me and Sully getting sick and the, the, the Merdike. So yeah, you'd be like delighted about like having those little things. So tell me more about you and Sully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody <laughs> called Sully. Wish I did though. Uh, just because you mentioned them, what do you think of the new LCD Sound System album? Because I think it's a really polarizing album people love it or hate it i think whereas i'm i feel like i'm in the middle actually yeah i feel like i'm in the middle i i only feel like i'm in the middle in that i haven't given it enough attention i don't think it's gonna get better for me though i feel like people who are saying it's amazing i don't really see it and i saw i saw it got album of the year from uncut magazine and i was like what really with albums like that you can't album of the year doesn't matter first of all it's november and second of all like it doesn't matter those type of lcd sound system never got album of the of the year when they brought out their first couple of records yeah but they're a bigger band now though yeah but i mean they they grow those songs like grew into something else yeah and i think that the same is with this album i think it's going to take a while to like I don't know. For me, I'm like, I think it's going to take a while to get them or to get if they are important or if they're not important. But I don't think you can pick something like an LCD census album to be album of the year so immediately. I think that's just biased because you want it to be better than it is. Well, I mean, it was getting like, what did Pitch, Pitchfork gave it a really good review, I think. And Those people so it don't got know like anything. five stars and places, you know, on review and stuff. So people, I don't know if people. You know, when you're, rev- I don't know if you've ever had to review albums, but like mm. you're kind of forced to make a decision and you're like, okay, it's the new LCD sound system album. It's their first album in five years. Like if I slate it, I could be <laughs> completely wrong in like this time next year when it could be, yeah, you know, the biggest thing in the world. So I think that it's a lot of people kind of hedging their bets. And I think that there's a lot about that because I saw the Rough Trade albums of the year list, which was the first albums of the year list mm-hmm. that I saw this year, and they had Bjork's album like number three or four, the which is probably Bjork fair. Album. This new Bjork album it's coming like out barely on out Friday. It hasn't even come out yet, <laughs> That's so and it's silly. on the albums of the year list. And you're just like, How? yeah, but like, because you you write, and this is something that's kind of like bothers me a bit. Is like how much of writing is now just PR? Is like you're getting someone to do PR for you. Like if you. <clears throat> Um, I feel like I should definitely not bring up the situation but the <clears throat> Talos album but <clears throat> I had a friend who wrote about the Talos album and he wrote a kind of not favorable review <clears throat> and I just like wondered how much of that was because bands rely on reviews for PR now and they re- rely on quotes and, and all this kind of stuff not that the Talos album didn't get amazing reviews elsewhere and didn't get exactly what it needed but it kind of bothers me. I would prefer someone honestly write about a Shaker Him album, say, I don't know, whatever they want to say. Because I'm not really making it for them. Yeah. I'm making it for me. Well, like, I guess a review of an album is kind of different to, like, writing about songs, which is mostly what I do on the point of everything. Mm-hmm. Just because the amount of time that you have to dedicate to 
uh, an album review is like, you know, you've got to listen to it 10 times. You've got to really pay attention and stuff. And that's kind of almost unorganic to how I would listen to music anyway. You know, I kind of often have it on in the background or, you know, in my headphones in work. And even even at that, I'm kind of like, I don't want a very lyric heavy album. Even though saying that, I was listening to the Andy Irvine and uh, Paul Brady album? Paul Brady album for the first time yesterday on for the first work. time. Oh my god, I got yeah, like shivers yeah. of excitement for you. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's brilliant and stuff. But I was just like, I can appreciate this when I'm just kind of listening to it passively. <coughs> that Whereas, was a bit like, how I, I felt with the LCD sound system album. Actually, was you, that I you was, were kind of like pressing play and like I was making dinner and people were coming over to the house and I was playing that. And I knew that it was something I wanted to pay more attention to. And I haven't really had the time since to sit down and pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, I really love albums that get stuck with you. Like the most recent one is the Nadia Reed, the first Nadia Reed album. Oh, okay. Um, can't remember what it's called. It's got a really long title. <clears throat> that was something I could like put on beside what I was doing all the time if I was making food or if i was working on i don't know working on the laptop or something and i could put it on and it was like with it sat with you rather than like behind you or on top of you and somehow i don't remember like learning the words to songs but i know every word on that album now they're my favorite um type of albums i guess yeah when when you don't when it kind of gets into you without you realizing it yeah and then and also ones that you don't really like it finishes and you go back to the start yeah yeah, I'm I trying to, the strokes were the ones that were like when I was a teenager that I would like it would go to song 10 and then I would I would sometimes I wouldn't even I'd have it on the loop bit on my CD player. Yeah. And I would play like PlayStation and would just like, you know, they're like sound of the very start of the first strokes <laughs> of with the tape rewinding. <laughs> <laughs> um, just going back to that Talos thing, like, I mean, the thing is, is that the person who wrote that review, like would have spent ages uh, listening to the album as well. Like they would have known about like everything about it more than like the person who has just listened to it once or twice passively. You know, mm. it's very, and I understand the points that were made in the album review that it was kind of like a little samey. It's a little long, maybe the album, <clears throat> but I think that it's really, really good as well. Mm. You know, I, I, I think that it was a pretty constructive album review too. You know, it wasn't like completely panning it as saying like, it's yeah. so, you know, try hardish or something like that, which is what you, could level at Talos. Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, it wasn't completely I really over like the top, but it was slightly over the top. There were things that I really didn't like about it. Yeah, and the thing is as well, is that it just shows you how almost little reviewers and journalism matter that like you can get a bad review and still look at how brilliant Talos are doing mm. at the moment. Like, I mean, two sold out gigs at St. Luke's. I sold out that a church in... That blew my mind. How did that happen? Like, not that I'm like, how did that happen? But like, that's amazing that... Like, that's 800 tickets. But they're a brilliant live band as well, though. Yeah. And it's amazing to think about they're it. They're a brilliant live because band. Because they're a band who really kind of took it slow and kind of... Yeah. It wasn't, I, was, I wasn't really sure of where it was going for a couple of years. And then suddenly, oh, you're a six-piece now. Mm. I think everyone... Like, I would, I would know most of the people... No, I would know everyone to do with that project, maybe. They've been, like, so well managed, while at the same time, like equally improving themselves as a band and as a project that like that rarely happens yeah um so it was like really exciting because i noticed that they were getting a lot more attention and then i went to see them live and i was like i like punched the air 
with like how much I was like, yes, they've done it. Like, <laughs> I think I saw them in the opera house, um, maybe supporting Wild Beasts, I think. Is, is that no, I don't think they supported Wild Beasts. I saw them in the opera house somewhere. Or, I, I mean, the somewhere being the opera house. <laughs> but the sometime, I can't remember where it was. And it like blew my mind. Are they the type of band who like, like you're obviously a big champion of like local music as well, but are they the type of band that would draw up a grudgers out of the woodwork in Cork? Like, you know, like other I, bands would be looking at their success and they'd be like, those fuckers. Like, yeah, I don't understand where that thing comes from. The begrudger thing, it can't be, it's it's only a Cork musician thing. People say it's a Cork thing. Oh, I've got it. Well, I tell you, this is a thing I, I was told once about Cork people. Oh, you could maybe save this for in between your songs. Maybe you can, <laughs> yeah, try, could, maybe you yeah. can try it out. <laughs> this is on stage banter being practiced right now. This is the thing I, I was told once in in Charlie's. Um, <clears throat> a man, uh, two fishermen are going out uh, Bantry Bay, let's say, and uh, they're picking up lobsters and shellfish. And they've one guy has a bucket, and he's just he's just taking them out of the net, and he's fecking them into this bucket. And the guy next to him, he's like, man, the bucket's too small. All of those crabs are going to just be all over the place. And the other guy says, no, no, these are these are cork lobsters. As soon as one tries to get out, the rest of them just drag them back down. <laughs> and that uh, that's a pretty good uh, <laughs> summation of it. No, because like I, I ask people, you know, like, oh, what's the scene like here and what's the scene mm-hmm. like there and stuff. And everyone is generally positive. A lot of people, like in Dublin, say people don't really... Uh, you know, they, they wouldn't say that there's anything negative really about it. And in Cork, people say that, like, there's no real scene, that everyone is kind of forced to work together, mm. you know, that it kind of meshes together. So I, I don't know. I think I definitely like there is a begrudgery that people don't talk about. And I just wonder, is it just like looking at a band's success? <clears throat> I think the begrudgery is that it's super hard to be an artist or a musician. And in this, I mean, I can only talk about this country because it's the one I'm from, but this country has little to no infrastructure to support let's say musicians but also i just mean i also mean like um visual artists and like you have to be very lucky or you have to spend a lot of time on things like grant applications not everyone is first of all not everyone is up for doing that kind of work and second of all not everyone's project is is the type of thing that gets supported by things like the Arts Council and the Cork City Council. So you're just kind of wasting your time in those regards. <clears throat> the best way to make money, if you want to be a professional musician or artist, is actually through those kind of avenues, which is kind of uh, kind of a dark... There's something not very um, natural about having a government hand pick and not pick what, what's, what's worth it or whatever. And also because the the reasons those things get chosen are based on trade and economy more than they're based on art, which is hotel beds, hotel beds. Um, like if you look at Iceland, they've done a really great job at sending artists away as a way of attracting tourists to Iceland. That was like their big thing like 10 years ago <clears throat> in this country. Like it's so, it's just so hard. Like I've, I don't know, but I've tried to get a loan like two years ago, like for a very small amount. Like a bank loan or something? Like a bank credit loan, yeah. To buy, um, I can't even remember what I was trying to get. And um, 
couldn't do it because <clears throat> they had to, you know, what do you do? I'm a working musician. I also DJ and I work in like theater and sound production. Didn't understand what I was talking about. So anyone to do with the arts is going to find it difficult to understand. Unless you say, I work in Cork Opera House as a sound technician, then you'll... But if you're going to be a freelance technician, you're going to have to work very hard to prove that you're making enough money to like be treated the same way that everyone else is. So you can, I kind of understand where the begrudgery comes from because, and I would also say in that, that I find that the way that people get like booked for things, um, I try not to do it with Southern Hospitality or Quarter Block Party, is that I noticed that, it, like for example in Cork, but it, it definitely happens all over the country, that you get chosen to do something if someone sees you, not because you're the best or or the like and so where do most bar people see the people I don't know that they hire working in a bar in their bar so the most people that they hire are the people that are going for drinks quite often people that are out more often oh okay right I got yeah. more I got hired more to do sound to do be a DJ to play live music when I was a bit younger because I'd be in pubs a bit more often and at a certain point I was like I don't really want to like Maybe because there was not really that many great bars to be going to in Cork at the moment anyway. Or especially ones that do live music. <coughs> I just started getting less... <coughs> sorry, my voice is going. I started getting less work because I wasn't in bars in front of people. Which is like another kind of dark thing about this country that <laughs> is a bit of a shame. And so I can... Uh, yeah, I understand where like begrudgery comes from because it's just super hard to put food and um, nice things on your table as an artist in this country. That's interesting, though, that like it's still out in a pub or in a venue or something that you actually get booked for stuff where the Internet is supposed to be this great thing where mm. <laughs> like you can send your music to anybody in the world. But it's like, will someone actually open the email, open the link in that email, read about you and press play yeah. as well and actually stick with you longer than like the opening bars of your of the first track on your album? Yeah, totally. I think the thing like the Internet's just like one tool like if you want to be let's say you're, i'm not talking about covers now if you want to be an original musician who's going to get paid and like the only person that i know and and the the level that they were is dahi odroni the fiddle player uh, electronic musician he works so hard to keep himself gigging and putting stuff out and i don't know if people know how hard you have to work to to be a musician an original musician and like he had like the type of success that people would probably begrudge in that he signed a, a deal with sony mm. and it sounds like it didn't really work out and now he's kind of back kind of independent and mm. it sounds like he's working as hard as ever but also having more success than ever as well and it's funny i was reading an interview with uh someone an irish act who's signed like to a major label now and she was talking about like the past years being mental and i've been even heard of any of her songs you know i know i know her name but like i haven't yeah. heard her at all i haven't heard anybody talking about her and i don't know she's playing a couple of gigs and i'm like are people gonna go I've, yeah you know it it, there, it takes it's not it's not me begrudging her or anything like that but it's just kind of what's the idea of success that people have like yeah. some people are like desperate to get signed to you know these labels even though like an irish act signing to a label means nothing yeah, an Irish actor signing to an Irish label is so, I don't know, not there's not much use to it. Like, I always, I love the um, 
pictures they go up every so often I, I i hope i'm not like taking the piss out of anybody i'm not really taking the piss but I, what i love is the pictures of um so it's a guy it's a it's like an artist sitting at a table in like universal or sony <laughs> and it's got and they have like two guys to yeah. the left and right <laughs> yeah. with their like hand on the shoulder and, and it's like so and they're reaching forward, and they're reaching forward like they're a football like player on the table yeah like they're <laughs> and it's like oh man, you're signing away the next three years, they're not going to do anything for you. Because it's so slow. You have to like, it seems like it's really bureaucratic that it's got to go through different people and they have to mm. make sure that it doesn't clash with like other releases that they're that they're doing and stuff. And like, they also just kind of only promote you in Ireland. I mean, I think, I can't think, I'm very, I'm struggling to find an act now that I can remember signing that has done. Because picture this signed to a UK version of Sony yeah. or something. I can't. Anyway, why the fuck am I talking about picture this? Like, <laughs> because why not? Because we need to talk about them just to try and figure <laughs> out picture this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> let's say from my perspective, I would have grown up watching Oasis interviews being like obsessed with that way and like assuming that that's the way it happens reading things like Jimi hendrix autobiographies and like reading about the biggest people in the music yeah industry. yeah and assuming that that was the way yeah things happened and then we were kind of gigging and for a long time like we started when we were 16 and didn't know what we were doing but under this thing we yeah, we were just sort of like a kind of a blob of a band, just like trying to figure out our identity, I guess, as people trying to figure out identity and and hoping maybe that someone would like see us and be like, man, these guys, you got to see these guys. What's their name? Circus Cat. It's like, it was silly, really. But we were like, just kind of like, I guess, getting better at being musicians for that period of time. Not everyone, like some people you see, Luke O'Neill, I don't know if, who writes songs under Damsel. Used to be the careers. Used, used to, to be, be in the careers. I don't know, but I saw him, I guess, when he was 18 first. And I was like, that man can write songs. He can write songs. He's a good songwriter. And he's got an identity. You know, and he like, even when you talk to him now, I'm like, he really, I feel like he knows who he is. I love that stuff. I love people who can do that. We're, we weren't those four people. And so we became the Shaker Him. And then we released an album. And I remember around that time, there was like this one guy who was in touch with us and he was like a proper big guy he like produced the Maddox Street Preachers he put together that band The Priests he, he worked in A&R for Sony like the main Sony Sony UK I guess so we were like pretty excited assuming something might happen um, and he just kind of went out of contact with us turned out he had his like mother passed away and he took a hiatus from work was like god damn <laughs> for us but I guess in that period of time, my like idea of what success changed. Right, yeah. Because it was nice to go to Belgium to play shows and, and it was nice to like put out our own stuff without. And then like I was friends with Dahi at that same time and like he was stressing out about having to do interviews and people were like, oh, you're the Irish, um, who's the guy who went out with uh, Taylor Swift? Ed Sheeran? No, <laughs> I really opened up a can of worms here. Um, no, the DJ... Calvin, Calvin Harris. Harris, yeah, that was a big thing. Everyone he was called was, the Irish Calvin Harris. Yeah, everywhere that you, everywhere Dahi went, people would introduce him as the Irish Calvin Harris, and I knew he hated that. And it was taking ages for his album to come out. In the meantime, we released 
our album like really quickly because we wanted to to <laughs> to not as many listens but there was a certain like switch on in my brain of like this is a lot easier um no one's telling us what to do we still get to tour and travel and we get paid and at a certain point the shaker him was in the green light you know we, we put our own money towards it and then we played enough gigs and we now play enough gigs and get paid enough that the album takes care of itself um and like by the second by the end of touring the set last album we were getting personally paid from gigs wow that is a that's rarity good. that's a massive that's rarity but um, like you guys are recording your third album which in itself is like in 2017 uh, yeah 2017 yeah. going into 2018 when people are kind of one and done it's yeah kind of like it's a really good thing that you're actually evolving and totally learning and it feels good as well because like the music slightly is getting uh, going a different direction and then like the, you're developing yeah it's not i don't know at a certain point i would have expected us to kind of stagnate or something but not i really. mean this isn't your be here now cocaine fueled album, there is but. some 10 minute pop songs on there um i uh sorry what did i think there i had something to say uh this album uh i've lost it never mind it's not good podcast listening <laughs> uh are you positive about cork you know we've kind of talked about begrudgery mm. and stuff in cork it seems like like at the start of, or at the end of 2016 southern hospitality board you and ashling o'reardon's promotions company kind of decided you'd stop that and focus on your own stuff for mm. 2017 and at the time and for a couple of months afterwards it did seem like who is going to put on gigs and like you mm. know after after a uh, quarter block party earlier this year it kind of felt like geez what's going to happen now and then suddenly we have Emma in the Roundy, we have mm. Cormac from Cosmonaut doing good stuff, and there's another few people as well. It does seem like, I don't know, the core kind of did dip, and now it's kind of <clears throat> yeah. I think it, I think it does go okay. in like peaks and troughs, though. But then I think people expect more out of the peaks than than is possible, and get really deep in the troughs when they come around, like. The problem really with like the this kind of like peaks and troughs is that there was a great period it felt all right mother um where there was lots of new bands coming out and like i thought the pav when that was going downstairs it wasn't really like the venue necessarily that excited me it was the downstairs in the pav where you would have like the first gig of like when a new band started there they do their first gig down there for like a year or two and that was cool you'd get to see and like lots of people were interlinking with each other for free as well for free as well yeah and some of those things have turned into other things and some haven't. Like the altered hours are, I mean, they were going a little bit longer than that, but they're probably the be, the, the longest success of that. <clears throat> and so that's great. That's like a great, that's a great peak. But really, like how much more people were going to gigs then than are going now? I don't think, I think the same people were going yeah. to gigs there. And so really the, the thing that Cork needs uh, is more people either living in it or more people going to shows not picture this shows <laughs> and not the marquee like the marquee is a cool thing but it doesn't feed the livelihood like the cultural livelihood of of the city all year round but saying that though altered areas played saint luke's um for october holiday weekend and it sounded like it was amazing gig like did did well as well i think yeah it was, I wasn't there, I was, it was quite fun. busy i it was one of my favorite shows i've ever been to that's class yeah it and made I mean, me Katie so came excited. on support as well. So yeah, it was beautiful. And Will Carruthers was, he joined them for a song and he was, he's kind of a wild, wild man as well. So there was like an, 
also it was the it was the, that was the Sunday of Jazz Weekend. Mm. There was loads of stuff on, and because the Altered Hours was like a sitting down gig, you could feel people's energy. Like, no, this won't <laughs> do. We're not gonna. We can't sit down at this. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. For to go back to the the successes and the not successes of Cork, like. <clears throat> What I was excited about recently that made me think like Cork's great was um, yeah go back to Luke O'Neill he put on a, a thing in the Spalpeen and it was like um, Larry Shaw one of the best rock and roll bands in Ireland right now Larry Shaw and the Swamp People uh, Luke did some like new songs I think that was it I think it was just the two of them but there was like a lot of people there but like most excitingly there was like loads of young people there and it felt a bit like how it felt when I was a bit younger watching a new band start every time, every like Thursday in the pub and was like, Oh cool. This place exists. That's good to know that that's somewhere, um, happening because that's like, that's the, the like circle and the livelihood of the city is and like new stuff coming around all the time. People having a place to go. It felt for a little while that there was like, there wasn't a place to go other than maybe gulped, which was kind of like for DJs rather than live music. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty. I'm like pretty excited if that can keep happening. Was it a good thing? Like, are you happy the Southern Hospitality Board kind of ended the way it did? Like, are you happy that you haven't had to worry about it during the year? Like, oh, we should put on this band. We should put on that yeah, band. Like, are you doing that less? We've been asked to do things, and we've said yes a couple of times, and then just backed away because we were like making money sometimes and then losing double the money the, the same amount the next time and then we were having bands stay in our house and our, like for two or three or four nights at a row and kind of getting on the nerves of housemates and that's another thing about growing up as well like you yeah. know when you're 18 or 19 it's great oh this band is staying in my house and then like mid-20s yeah. and stuff you're like i just want my coffee in peace <laughs> yeah 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 and like you don't like people have different personalities as well, especially like touring musicians. You don't know who's going to come to your door. You don't know if they're like, I know that like I could, if I was touring, I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm pretty chill. But when I get to someone's house, I don't know if I'm going to be chill that day that I arrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's Stressful. like, yeah, it's a lot of, and like, I don't know. I think people need to take care of their mental health a lot more. I'm, I'm becoming more aware of it as I get a bit older as well. And like, especially for musicians who are pretty much living on a, very small wage expecting a lot of themselves working from you know if if they're working their day job or their night job they're also like spending their their extra time working or thinking about what they're going to work on next and so for like me and ashling for example we were doing that and then on top of that trying to bring those bring versions of ourselves to us and take care of them it was like it seemed a bit like it, it just got like too much at the very end of it um, and I wanted to like do the St. Keelan stuff. Um, so yeah, I am glad that, that it doesn't seem like, um, like there's, a, I think we did a certain type of show or a certain type of event that's not the same, but that's just because of the type of people who run events. Like we put a lot of time and energy into taking care of the artists because we, I felt that like when you do that, they do a better show and then the audience has like a way better time. Um, Maybe people do that. No, I, no, I don't know. But yeah. that that was like a big thing for us was like like a lot of care and make sure that the artist feels like well looked after. Because as a person who tours, I love when that happens. I feel like I can do a better job when like I've walked into venues and people go like, "Hey, do you know anyone coming tonight?" And you're like, 
fuck you, man. That's your job. My job is <laughs> to play the gig. <laughs> Whatever. So like, so that was my thing was like, if we're going to promote shows, let's take all the worry out of it other than how to play the show. Uh, you, you and Ashling haven't completely gotten out of the promotion, the gig promotion business. Quarter Black Party is still yeah. going strong. Uh, you just announced the first batch of acts you're playing. <clears throat> the festival takes place in February. Yeah. And the first weekend in February. Second, third, fourth February, yeah. And you just announced the first batch of acts. Oh, Emperor, Percolator, Alison Spittle is there as well. Mm-hmm. You excited about it? Yeah, I'm super excited. We actually have most of the rest of the acts confirmed now as well. So that's pretty exciting. We're doing... Um, so I, I don't know if people don't know it's like on North Main Street South Main Street we've been trying to build up towards Shandon that's why the Ferkin Crane was used last year um, Ferkin Crane's actually in like refurbishment this time so we're gonna be using the Kino as a venue which isn't on North Main Street but we the want Kino is still a venue um, fingers crossed <laughs> um, yeah no it is it's it, it um, it's been opened by the guy who owns the cafe on College Road kind of young guy um and his dad, Philip and Philip, they're called. And they're super nice. They're getting the... I think they had a problem with the licensing or something to start off with. They were opening for Jazz Weekend. So they're, I think maybe we're going to be the first thing in there. Ooh. Yeah, super nervous. Hope everything goes okay. So we have the Kino because we wanted to have a dance venue the way the Ferkin Crane would be. Um, and so we have these shows coming. One of them being Jero Minus and Him, which is announced already. Um, I'm not like that into dance, but... I laughed my ass off watching the video of this show. <laughs> and there's no talking in it. It's like it's not a comedy show. It's just so beautiful. It's three three French guys are coming over and um yeah, it's a really big deal that we're getting there's another dance show coming as well that I, I guess I can't say yet, but like the fact that we have these two dance shows, these dance performance is really big. Like these d- things type of things don't come to Cork that often. And so I really hope people go to see these shows and the other thing we're trying to do this year is not uh, put stuff on at the same time too much so that people can kind of see um and if there is something on at the same time they're both in low capacity venues so that you're if you're losing out on a 50 person venue you can go somewhere else you guys get big crowds for this this is becoming like a big thing that people actually travel yeah like, down the country for as well like bitch falcon were playing bdsm was was that <laughs> earlier this year or something um, or was that even last year it was last year i think yeah, yeah. and like you, c- you couldn't even stand outside and mm. listen because it was so busy and yeah. then that that was when there was other stuff i think there was stuff in gulp as well which was out the door i think it might have been like rama yeah playing and then there was uh stuff in that um pub behind rear or that club behind reardon's changes all the time uh yeah 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 um it was minus then it was minus, Eddie K was yeah. running it yeah so uh like not putting stuff on at the one time it's <laughs> like oh that's good but wait is there gonna be like a thousand people that yeah it's a, it's a real like um what's the word it's a real balancing act and, a, yeah. and like hoping that so we've done a kind of i can't believe it took us four years to realize this it's kind of <laughs> funny so we uh, well it's a no, learning it took, curve, though. we have yeah we have weekend tickets for sale and we sell a certain amount of them every year and over the three years we've noticed ah, it's the same amount pretty much every year and so that gets you into everything it's like a priority ticket kind of um and so and then we have a day ticket so if you buy a day ticket it's like half the price of the weekend ticket and that gets you into everything as well 
So it took us three years to realize that it was the same amount and that we could just take that amount away from the capacity of each venue and then sell that amount of tickets into the venue. Before, like the first time, the first year we did it with the Emperor, we had a queue, a capacity of 110, we had a queue of like 300 people. There was more angry people outside than there were people inside Happy enjoying inside. it. Yeah. And it was also our first year. We weren't, we didn't have the procedure. We didn't know, like, we don't run this the way like MCD or something do. We were like four artists who decided that we wanted to bring lots of art to Cork that wouldn't get the chance. Like stuff that's not in the marquee or these kind of places, not in, it's not usually in Cork Midsummer because Cork Midsummer doesn't put that, that much music on. Also with the kind of dance and theater, we wanted to bring stuff that is kind of more contemporary again. Um, and that, yeah, Cork audiences don't get the like chance to see that stuff. And so it's a little bit like kind of um, bringing people for the music a lot, quite often, and then like hoping they'll also see something super cool the rest of the weekend. Or the people that are really into dance, which is a lot less than people who are really into music, but the people who are into dance will come and, and maybe they'll, I don't know, meet other people and, and sort of like, this is the way that people bind together in, in the art scene is by like giving events that people can be inspired by and take influence from. And it's cool that there's like great cork bands all the time, but you end up seeing the same musicians each time. And so I think people need to hear different perspectives. That's what like an arts festival is to me, is like a hundred different perspectives <laughs> and you can pick and choose which ones you want to go and take, I guess. Uh, that's all really exciting. Like Quarter yeah. Black Friday, it has become a fixture in the calendar, I think. Yeah. You know, four, four years now. This is the fourth year. And I've been like the, f I've been like running it as the like manager of the festival. I won't be doing that this like next year because it's, it's so much work and like yeah. so much time on Excel sheets and just explaining it to people as well, I guess. Is, yeah. So tell me more. What? Like it's really, How does it work? really, lo I love it. I like the, what's the like phrase is like the juice is worth the squeeze, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the work process. But like, for example, last year I didn't see one thing. Ah. I put up n most of the shows and then I would run back and I'd take them down with whoever was working on the, on that venue and stuff. And this year I have this thing where I'm like, if anyone deserves to have the weekend off, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so I don't really, I'm not going to do that job next year because it's just, it's um, it's like you don't get paid that much, if you get paid at all, you don't get much paid much money and you're pretty much working like from at least September onwards, if not from July onwards, like five days a week. Uh, it's super stressful. Well, that's uh, February, mm -hmm. the first weekend in February, so people can buy tickets now. Good Christmas present, I think. Good Christmas present. We'll be we're actually doing a fundraiser in the Roundy on the eighth of December. There's a band called Alien She, um, who are from Dublin, Unreal Punk band. They're gonna be playing and then we've got like if you think of anyone that DJs in Cork, they're gonna be playing at it as well. And oh, it's wow. going late. So it's gonna be um yeah, it's gonna be a, it's kinda of funny to be like a fundraiser for a festival that you also buy tickets for, but we um we're in a bit of like a transition of like we would we used to apply for funding to be a project and now we're because it's gone so well <laughs> we're actually need to start applying for like annual funding which is a different different beast altogether yeah, yeah it's a step up but it's just um it means that we're in a transition of like next year it will be much easier so this year we're hoping that people might come to the fundraiser so we're putting on a really good night there's about 20 djs mm. um alien she this like unreal punk band and um 
I'm not sure. We'll probably figure some other fun stuff to do on the night as well. And more immediately, Shaker Him are playing Collins on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, Collins next Thursday. It's the 30th of November. Oh, the 30th. Sorry. Yeah. See, oh, we're, we're doing so it with Patrick Freeman, so it's okay to do it on Thursday. You're taking less of a chance when you're double headlining, you know. <laughs> That's what I think. Is that going to be your last gig of the year? Um, yeah, most likely. I probably won't have any more time to do anything after that. And then we're going back. We're finishing the album in January. And then I'd say we'll do a little a little run in February just to give myself a bit of a... Like, I love that my break is getting to do gigs. Like, I'll be excited to do gigs rather than to be, like, sitting on a laptop. So I'll probably want to do um, two or three again in February. And then I, oh, the idea is to bring the album out around April or May. Cool. Um, album number three. Album number three. It's really cool because it goes straight to tape. And then we, it takes one day to mix it because everything's done in the recording process. So it doesn't take months and months of waiting around for people to mix and people to master. It gets done way faster. It's done straight to tape. Yeah, we've done this. We did the last recording process, like the last three songs straight to tape on a four track. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't like with regards to Shaking Room, I don't think we'll ever go back to recording digitally because it's, it's time consuming. It's time consuming, but it, there's something much nicer. Like we're able to play as four people now mm. and it seems arbitrary to go away and do that separately. We can so we do one tape, full band take, and then second on the second tape we do all the vocals. And then on the third and fourth tapes we do overdubs with like keys and maybe strings or tambourine and stuff like that. And we're like well able to do it. And so so there's no reason not to do it kind of. And we have a, a friend who has a tape machine who's a great producer, Brendan Fantasy. So like all the things add up together. It's way faster. And also what I love about it is that you have to be good on the day. And if you're bad on the day, that's what's on the tape as well. Right, yeah. And that's fine. Like, you, there's all your favorite recordings, someone's fucking up somewhere. Like, every Bob Dylan recording from, like the, from I don't know, Blood on the Tracks, there's someone messing up somewhere in there. And it's, it's what oh, got man. released. Keelan calling out Bob Dylan. <laughs> hey, Bob, get your <laughs> shit together. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a way to uh, end the podcast. Sounds like you've got your, your hands full, but... um. Wouldn't want it any other way. One, I wouldn't. Don't even know how to do it in any other way. <laughs> uh, thanks for chatting, and good luck with the gig, and with the festival, and with uh, the band, and the solo stuff, and <laughs> everything else. It's-